over the last few weeks, uh, we've been diving into this series. We kind of fell into it, really. It wasn't just something that we planned, but as Esther and I have been preparing, we'd just be getting this same sense that we kind of needed to sit on this topic. And we've been talking about bearing fruit. It's a, it's a kind of a phrase that the Bible mentions, and uh, this is where we've been anchoring it on. It says this in John 15, verse 8, uh, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so it's clear there that this verse says that, that people who bear fruit, people that extend the kingdom of God, people that are about bearing fruit that, that lasts eternally, they are those who are disciples. And if you haven't noticed, our church name is Disciple House. And so we're all about discipleship. We're all about building people uh, to be the best uh, versions of themselves that they can be. But more than that, we want to instill Jesus Christ into you. And one of the things that Jesus says when it comes to discipleship is that you're not just someone who uh, knows about Jesus, but you're someone that's bearing fruit, that there's something about your life that is going out into the community and spreading this message that Jesus has placed in your heart. Uh, so what is bearing fruit? Here's a real kind of simple definition. Bearing fruit is first you becoming like Jesus, and then secondly, you helping others become like Jesus. So first of all, it's you uh, becoming like Jesus. You are starting to embody the characteristics of Jesus. And then it's you from that place of revelation, helping others become more like Jesus. And so we're in part four today. Uh, part one, we spoke about how we need to have right hearts. We spoke about the story of the soils, how even though the, 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 um, the farmer, which in that case is Jesus, is scattering the seed, which is the Word of God. Even though the seed is good and even though the seed has potential to grow, there were actually four soils and there was only one good soil and there were three bad soils. And through uncovering that parable, we realized that the soils represent our hearts. And so if we want to be people who bear fruit in our personal life and in the lives of others, we need to be that fourth soil that is a good heart, that's receptive to the Word of God, that uh, wants it to grow in its life, uh, not uh, like the other soils that would block the growth of the Word of God in our life. And if you haven't listened to that, you can go onto our website and hear the podcast. Part two, we talked about uh, the fact that we need to abide in the vine, and that's actually Jesus, and we can't bear fruit as branches in the kingdom of God without remaining connected to the vine. Have you ever seen a branch... Uh, produce fruit when it's disconnected from the tree. It just can't. A branch needs to make sure that it's connected to the vine. And in that parable, that story that Jesus is articulating, he's saying that I am the vine, you are the branches. And so if we want to be, again, people who bear fruit personally and in the lives of others, we need to stay connected to the vine. And part three, Esther spoke a great message last week as she broke down our Psalm chapter one, which personally is my favorite Psalm. Uh, and it was encouraging us to be people of the word. Uh, the verse mentions that uh, the, the person whose life is blessed is someone who meditates on the word day and night. But also that passage talks about surrounding ourselves with good company so that we can uh, kind of spur each other on in the good things in Jesus' name. So if we want to bear fruit, we need to be people of the word and also a people where we surround ourselves with good company. And so today, um, we're going to go dive into part four of this message, and this is going to be the conclusion of this series. You know, these messages that I just spoke about before, um, kind of, they, they were kind of hitting on what goes 
uh, on below the surface? What, what's actually going on in our lives before we go out and bear fruit in other people's lives? We talked about the heart, which is us. We talked about remaining connected to the vine, which is us. And we talked about being people of the word and good character, which is about us. And so those first three parts are about you becoming like Christ. And today I want to finish this series by exploring how we can bear fruit in others, how we can actually see what, how what Jesus has done in our hearts, in our life as we've remained connected to the vine, as we've remained in the Word, as we've remained in good community, how we can then actually spread this message of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, remembering that the verse that we read at the start says, how do we prove that we're followers of Jesus? How do we prove that we're disciples of Jesus, that we bear fruit in our lives, but also in other people's lives in Jesus' name? So the title of our message today is this, Bearing Fruit in Others. You know, our faith, it's kind of not meant to just stay within us, just, just by ourselves. You know, I've met people in the past who say that their faith is very a private thing. It's something that they only do between them and God. And, uh, you know, my prayer is that hopefully they will get this revelation that Christianity, following Jesus, is not just about you and God. It's about you and the church and then the wider community knowing what is happening on the inside of your heart. It's not just a, a, a faith that's meant to remain in you. In fact, that's kind of what our culture tells us to do. You can have your religion. It's okay. It's all good as long as you don't talk about it. It's okay that you have your belief in, you know, your little baby Jesus. It's okay, but don't go around preaching about it. Don't go around telling me that he's the way, that he's the truth, and that he's the life. I'm very comfortable the way that I'm living. Who knows that? We're kind of thrown at this in our, in our culture, but the Word of God says that we're actually meant to express that, that what Jesus has done on the inside of us is not meant to stay quiet, that we're actually meant to proclaim what Jesus has done, that we were once a broken sinner, and really we still are, but the grace of Jesus has cleansed us, washed us clean, and we now live in new life because of what Jesus has done in our lives. This is because the purpose of the gospel, it's going to come up on the screen, is that it first changes us and then it allows us to change others through us. The gospel first changes us. It first changes us from someone who's been rebellious towards God and His ways, it first changes us from someone who really we just kind of think selfishly. We're, we're living for ourselves. And suddenly when we encounter Jesus, we're living for others. We're living more with, a, with an open hand. We're living with generosity in our life. And we, we go on this journey of us being transformed. And then as we go on this journey of us personally being transformed, we can't help but express what is going on on the inside that we want to tell everyone what is happening in our lives. You know, we, we actually see this kind of, scenario of, of changing us and then changing others play out through the lives of the disciples in the Gospels. You know, they first encountered Jesus for themselves and, and they were amazed, the Bible says. They, they were in wonder. They were like, who is this guy? Could, could this be the promised Messiah? Just for a second, put yourself in the shoes of a, of a first century Jew. And, and, and from right from a young age, every Sabbath, they've been told that someone one day the Messiah is going to come. One day he's going to come. And here these guys are at the average age of about 25. They're, they're like, could this be the guy? Could, could this be the guy that's been prophesied for thousands of years? And as they go along this journey, Jesus actually directly asks them and says, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter, the disciple, says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And so they go on this journey of being transformed uh, by hanging out with Jesus, just kind of, you know, eating and drinking and, and, and being merry and going from town to town, hearing Jesus preach. And they also have these personal times with Jesus that he begins to equip them and transform them with his message. And it's life-changing for them. They go from people who, who really poured all their time into their work, some of them as fishermen, to giving all of that up and, and pursuing their whole life to building the kingdom and following Jesus. And so they go on this journey of personal transformation, being equipped by what Jesus is uh, instilling in them. And then Jesus says this, all right, boys, to the disciples, all right, we, we, we actually can't keep this to ourselves. There's 12 of us, and if we kind of keep this to ourselves, this will be it. This is it. We're, we're finished. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or in any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Or in other words, Jesus is actually saying, I am here because Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. He is the spirit of God in dwelling in flesh. And what he's actually saying is the kingdom of heaven is near. Other translations say it is at hand. So when Jesus is proclaiming this message, he's saying what has been promised before is here now. It's at hand. It's actually in physical flesh right now. And so Jesus sends out the 12 and says, go tell everyone the kingdom is at hand. And then it says in verse 8, Go and heal the sick. Go and raise the dead. Go and cleanse those who have leprosy. Or in other words, go, go to the outcasts. Go to those who have been outcasts from society. And also, go and drive out demons. Go and cause, tell darkness that its days are numbered. Go and tell that darkness needs to flee in my name. And here's what I want us to focus on. Freely you have received, freely give. This is Jesus' final instructions to his disciples as he's sending them out. And maybe you might have been in church for a little while and you might have heard this kind of verse used in an offering time. You know, freely you have received, so freely give. Come on, let's be generous today as we go into our time of giving. You know, freely you have received, freely give. And, and that's true. That, that principle is true. The reason that you exist is because the breath of God has been breathed into you. And the reason that you're living another day is because God has allowed you to live another day. Freely you have received, so, so freely freely give. It is a true principle. But when Jesus says this phrase, he's very clearly, as we can see in the scripture, he's talking within the context of sharing the message of Jesus. That freely you have received my message. Freely you have received the good message of the gospel. So disciples, boys, don't keep it to yourself. Freely give it. Don't hoard it for yourself. Don't hold it in your heart. Don't keep it a secret. Freely you have received the transforming message of salvation that I'm going to come, that I'm going to live a perfect life, that I'm going to place myself on the cross and pay the price for humanity's sin and stop the separation between man and God so that everyone can live in freedom. Don't hold on to that message. Freely you have received, so freely you must give. And it's almost like Jesus already knew that humans have a tendency to keep something good when they find it to themselves. 
you know what I'm talking about? When you, when you find that restaurant and you, you don't want it to be crowded, you're like, no, no, I'm not going to tell anyone about this, about this cafe. Um, you know, the, down south, there's all these places that people are now finding out about that people have known for many years. But because of Instagram and geotagging, you can actually geographically tag where you are. These once places that only a few people knew, that only the locals knew, now everyone in Perth, every long weekend, I'm going to the pools, I'm going to go make sure I get that, that good Instagram shot. And all the locals are like, oh man, the secret's out. We've kept this secret for so long, but now everyone knows where this place is. You know, as a fisherman, I kind of, and I'm not a very good one, but as a fisherman, I, I, I understand this. You know, there's, there's spots that I've been to when I've gone to fish that I'm like, man, I'm never, ever ever coming back here again. I didn't, I, I didn't even not catch anything. I didn't even get a bite. Like I'm not coming back here ever again. But there's these spots that my grandfather and my father and I, that, that we have, they're secret. They're, no one's going to find out about these spots because this, this place is an abundant harvest. There's a, every time I go to this place, there's actually a specific place down south. That's all I'm saying. There's a specific place down south that when I go to, guaranteed I'm going to get a catch. As a fisherman, I understand withholding something, keeping something secret from someone. But as a Christian, I can't live like that. As a fisher of men, I cannot live like that. I can't live knowing that I have the reason for existence. I can't live knowing that I have the answer to the question that everyone is asking. Is there a God? Is there some? Why are we even here? We have the answer. His name is Jesus, and we can't keep him a secret. We need to proclaim this message that we have. Come on, remembering the purpose of the gospel is that it changes you. And if you're in this place today, I'm guessing that you've experienced the transforming power of the gospel. But come on, my encouragement to you today is this. Let it transform you, and then let you transform others through the message of the gospel. You know, this is why our mission statement as a church is this, transforming and equipping for purpose. Transforming and equipping for purpose because this is the power and the purpose of the gospel. You know, here at this church, we want to see people transformed and equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the equipping of God's word. And then our greatest heart, mine and Esther's greatest heart, is that you would then go out and live on purpose. That you would gather and then go when you come to Disciple House, that we would gather as a body, that we would celebrate Jesus, that we would be transformed through worship, through the Word, but also we'd be equipped through the Word. And then when we go into Monday, and when we go into Tuesday, and so on and so forth, we are living on purpose, on mission for the kingdom of God. You know, over the last few weeks, as I was saying earlier, These messages that we were speaking about were kind of more leaning towards the transformation and the equipping. And today I want to talk about living on purpose. I want to talk about what it means to live on purpose for the sake of the gospel. I want to to stir up some feathers this morning. I I want to challenge us today. And and I'm, I'm all good to go there this morning. I want to challenge us today to be people who live on purpose, that we don't want to keep this message to ourselves but that we want to be seeing bearing fruit in other people's lives. So today, as we kind of land this plane this morning, I want to talk about three ways that we can share our faith. Uh, Because sharing our faith, let's be honest, it it is a bit of an intimidating situation. It can be something that can bring uh, a bit of fear, a bit bit of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. 
And typically, what has looked like uh, sharing the gospel is, is kind of what I'm doing right now. Some person standing on stage every Sunday, and, and they're the ones that, that preach the gospel, but that's actually not the truth. We're all called to go and preach the gospel, but we're not all called to maybe stand up on a stage. That, that might not be where we're at, we're, but we're actually called to be where we are, where we are right now. That we might be in the workplace, that we might be at the moment in a stay-at-home situation, and, and please don't despise that. That's your greatest calling, to raise a family of God, raise a family of disciples, raise your kids right from the start knowing that they know Jesus, and then they're going to go live out an incredible kingdom purpose in their life. Wherever you are called right now, wherever you are placed right now, God has put you there for a purpose, and I believe it is this, so that you can bring the reality of the kingdom of God to that place so that we can see that. So there's actually many methods that we can use to share our faith in other people's life. And the first method, method is this, the, the method of the testimonial method. And uh, this method is all about sharing your testimony. In other words, sharing your God story, sharing your life story. You know, in the beginnings of the church, this was all they had. In the beginning of the church that we read in Acts, they didn't have the book of Matthew. They didn't have the book of Luke. They didn't have the book of Mark. They didn't have the book of John. That was the latest edition of the Gospels that was written. And they certainly didn't have the book of Acts because they were living that out. That was, they were present there in that moment. All they had was their testimony. All they had was, I saw Jesus raise someone from the dead. I saw Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. I saw that. I was there. I actually saw Jesus die and I saw him resurrected. For some of those 12, they saw the nails, the, the, the marks that were left by the nails in his hands. They, they saw, they, they encountered it. And it was their testimony that actually birthed the church. We know that the Holy Spirit empowered them with boldness and the ability to actually interpret Old Testament scriptures in this new lens of the new covenant, the New Testament. But it was their personal story that I've encountered Jesus and there's nothing that you can say about it. I know that I saw Jesus do this in our time in this history. And so for them, it was their story about how God changed them. And it was the foundational message that built the church. And it's so amazing because, and the reason I felt like the, the church was so accelerated is because your story, it has power. Your story actually carries weight. You know, you might not ever get a, a book written about you. You might not ever get a movie kind of directed or written or you might, might not ever hit the box office. You know, we watch those movies like, oh my gosh, like tears, right? Like those, those true story movies, like, oh my goodness. That, that might not be your life, but there are people in your world that need to see, that need to hear about your life and hear what God has done for you. Again, I sense that, and I know that God has placed you in particular places and spaces and places of prominence and, and titles or, or whatever, and that, all of that stuff doesn't really matter, to be honest. You're there to achieve a mission, and you've been placed there because your story matters to those people in that place. And those people might not ever read a Bible. They might not ever walk into a church, but they will encounter God through you because the gospel has changed you and you can then change them through what God has done in your life. You know, people, we see it all the time, they argue philosophically about the gospel. 
They argue theologically about the gospel. They argue scientifically, whether it's true or false in the, in the scientific lens. And they even argue spiritually whether the gospel is true. But all of those things don't matter when it comes to your story because your story is your story. And no one can argue what God has done in your life when you're declaring it to other people. People may reject it. People might say, oh, I don't believe that. But you know deep down in your heart, that's okay. I know my God. I know He transformed me. I know that He set me free. I know that He has given me the free gift of salvation. I know that I've encountered the presence of God to go live on purpose, to live in this power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so here's my encouragement to you today. Maybe this afternoon or this evening, if you've got kids, you put them down to bed. That's like, oh, okay, time to relax. My challenge to you is this. Maybe sit down and start to write your God story. Begin to articulate, what has God done in your life? You might be sitting here thinking, oh, God hasn't done a lot in my life. And you know what? Just to be brutally honest, for a long time, that's kind of how I thought. Um, if you don't know my story, I, I grew up in the church, and that is an incredible blessing. Um, I'm, a, I'm a third-generation pastor. I've got, I've got great legacy behind me. And, and for a lot of my life, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been awesome. I've, I've been blessed to have been raised in that environment and many battles were won on my behalf that I didn't need to kind of go through and when I heard and watched these testimonies of people in their life where they absolutely hit rock bottom come on we've heard those testimonies before and I'd sit there and go that's amazing that's the power and the grace and the mercy of God but I'd sit there and go that's that's not my story and I kind of go oh I don't really think my testimony actually means anything. I don't think it's really going to kind of change the, the world. And when I actually brought that before God, I, I realized there were, there's actually two issues with that kind of mentality when it comes to our testimony. Number one, I'm not perfect. <laughs> How self-righteous of me to think that just because I've grown up in a Christian home, I've been going to church my whole life, that I don't need saving, that I don't need redemption. But now I know in reflection, man, I, I need Jesus. <laughs> like... I need redeeming, I need saving, I need my sins to be taken away. And the other thing is this, that my testimony is that people were able to fight the battles for me in my life. And I was actually able to be raised in an incredible environment and one day make my own personal decision to follow Jesus. And yeah, I haven't hit rock bottom in my life, but that's my testimony. And I know that it's every parent's heart that that would be our children's story that they wouldn't need to fight those battles, that we would actually protect them and actually help them go through life's journey without having to go through that. And I realized that my story is actually powerful, but it's not just my story, it's all of our stories. All of us have a significant story that we can release out there that, who knows, it could change someone's life. Really briefly, getting really practical, how do you share your testimony? It's going to come up on the screen. This is just a real short way that you can share your testimony. It starts like this, my life before Jesus, then when I met Jesus, and now my life with Jesus. If you're wondering how you share your testimony, this is kind of the formula. This is kind of the structure. You talk about how your life was like before Jesus, that I was, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was living life aimlessly. I was actually quite proud. In my case, I was kind of self-righteous, thinking that like I had it all together. But then I encountered Jesus and I had this moment where God revealed himself to me and now my life is like this because I'm living in the fullness of His Savior and His name is Jesus. Awesome. Here's the second way that we can share our faith and it's the invitational method. And this method is all about bringing people 
towards God. It's kind of like taking them on a journey. It's very tightly connected to the relational approach of bringing someone towards Jesus. But where it differs is that it's more about you just kind of throwing out there an invitation for someone to come along to a service or for them to come to your house and maybe you just even read the Bible with them or something like that. It's, it's about you bridging the gap between them and them, uh, between them meeting God. You know, there's this story in uh, John chapter 4, and I'm not going to go into full detail, but it's the story that's been now named the woman at the well. And Jesus goes to this well, and uh, there's a lot more deeper meaning here, but really he's actually quite thirsty, so he wants to get a drink from the well. And he meets this woman, and he begins to actually have a conversation with her, so much so that he just begins to share that he loves her, but that also that she's, she's had a past, but he's actually the solution for that past. And the Bible says that the woman dropped the jar that she had brought from a far distance to gather water, and she ran back to her village. And then it says this in John 4, verse 29. This is the woman speaking. Come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They, the people in the village, went out of the town and were coming to him, to Jesus. And then skipping ahead to verse 39. Many Samaritans, that's what this woman was, a Samaritan woman. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony and also because of the woman's invitation to bring them to meet this Jesus. Now, this is probably the the most weirdest invitation that you're ever going to read about, ever going to see. Hey, come and see a man who told me all of my sins, tell me, tell me, and revealed everything to me. And that might not be your invitation, but this was this this was this woman's invitation, and a whole village got saved because of this woman's invitation for them to come and meet Jesus. You know, in high school, I actually had a friend, and um, his tragically, his father uh, passed away. Um, in some really unfortunate circumstances. And uh, I was this guy's friend and I could see as, um, as the years were kind of going by throughout primary school and, and even high school that he was just kind of declining as each year kind of went on. And at that time, I was, I was in a youth group. I was going there every Friday night. And I simply just invited my friend to youth group, not because youth group's epic and amazing. And we're going give, to give away a PS4 this week. It's going to be an amazing night. I knew that he needed church. I knew that he needed community and I knew that he needed Jesus. And so by simply inviting him, he actually went on this journey and he gave his heart to Jesus. And he's still following Jesus today. And his sister then came to church as well. And uh, who knows, their kids are going to go on knowing Jesus simply because of an invitation to come. He was a broken person. He was someone who was looking at life and, and, and really probably was looking at a life of destruction and depression. But now he knows Jesus simply because of an invitation to come along and see and meet Jesus. Hey, can I challenge you? When it comes to these Sunday gatherings, invite someone to a Sunday gathering. Invite someone to church. We, I was talking before about House Connects. Why don't you invite someone to House Connects? I just, I just want to let everybody know, House Connects are not for the chosen few. It's not the Christian mingle of our church. It's not a place where we just kind of hang out. It's just our time. No, House Connects are for everyone as well. Invite someone to a House Connect. And if you're looking for a place to help someone start the journey of finding out Jesus, Alpha is definitely that place to invite them along to come and hear the message of Jesus. Also, my last point today is this, the last method that we can share our faith in Jesus is through your life's example, through your life example. This is all about letting people be drawn to Jesus 
by the way that you live life, by the way that you carry Jesus. Uh, John chapter 13 says this, A new command I give to you, says Jesus, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, over the years, I've had many conversations with people about Jesus simply because they were actually just intrigued by the way that I did or didn't respond to a situation. They were kind of like, I would have responded like this, but you responded like that and, and kind of vice versa. And it sparked a conversation to say, well, you know, when someone kind of abuses me, I don't really abuse them back because Jesus loves that person. And I don't want to kind of fan this whole thing into flame. And they were actually just so surprised by that because all they've ever seen is if someone gives you, you just give back and you just kind of keep going. It's, it's this countercultural way of living, kind of countercultural way of operating. People would kind of say, why don't you do certain things? You know, I used to work as a basketball referee actually at the stadium that's only a stone's throw from here and people would invite me say hey come to this party or come do this come do that and after a while of saying oh no I'm all good actually thank you I don't want to go to that they actually began to ask like hey like why don't you want to come to this party and actually begin to say hey well I know what's going to happen at that party and I don't really actually want to engage in that and there were other times where people simply came up to me and said there is something different about you and I cannot pick it. And I've been thinking about it for months. Why do you walk in happy? Why, why are you, I just don't understand. Why, while this is happening and that's happening, why are you at peace? And that's an opportunity for me to actually begin to say, well, it's, it's because I'm not the source of my peace. And I'm not the source of my joy. And my paycheck is not the source of my peace and joy. And maybe the world not being in turmoil is not my sense of peace or joy as we've kind of journeyed through the last few years. That my sense of peace and joy and strength and security doesn't come from my own efforts, but it comes from a finished work on the cross. And even though, again, as we've just gone through the last few years, the world's been in total chaos, I can 100% say that I've been at peace because that stuff, it doesn't phase where I know where I'm going one day, that the strength of Jesus, that the encouragement of Jesus, that the peace of Jesus hasn't left me when all of this stuff is happening, but that I'm standing firm on the finished work of the cross. And just quickly, it's not also about us as individuals, how we live our lives as individuals, but if you're raising a family in this place today, part of your evangelism, part of you sharing the gospel is how you raise your family, because your family could be the thing that reflects the light and heart of Jesus to the school community that your kids are a part of, to that sports community that maybe your kids are a part of, or wherever your family is doing life, how you raise your kids, how you raise up many disciples in your house could be the difference. Maybe the way that you uh, kind of foster a culture in your home, the spiritual atmosphere that you foster in your home could be what leads people to Jesus. You know, when people come over for dinner, they, they leave their house and they walk into your house. And there's been many times people have, said to us, wow, there's actually a real sense of peace in your house. And again, I'm kind of like, oh, that's, that's actually a really great reminder that this house is not governed by the principalities of this world, but it's governed by the presence of Jesus. And that my wife and I, we fight 
for the presence of Jesus to be in our household. We just get so used to it sometimes. We don't realize that what we have is so precious. Over the years of, of being youth pastors, as we've brought broken young people into our home to give them some food, they've literally said to us, how is this place so happy? How is this place so joyful? And again, we're able to say to them, it's not because of us, but it's because of the presence of Jesus. I want to finish today by reading Romans 10. Romans 10 says this, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I just want to pause right there because this is a powerful promise. Every single person that says yes to Jesus will be saved. I thank God that we don't have a 10-step program in order to have salvation in Jesus. It is as soon as you decide to follow Jesus, as soon as you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, as soon as you say, I'm not going to be the Lord of my life, but you, Jesus, are going to be the Lord of my life, you will be saved. Come on, today, if you're still believing for a loved one, if you're still believing for a friend or a family member, hold on to this scripture. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It could be on their deathbed. It could be tomorrow. Who knows? But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's not be a people who give up on hope on our loved ones and our friends. But then Paul says this in verse 14, just after that. But how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Come on, church. I want, I want to stir your faith today. I want to challenge you today. Don't just expect that people are going to land in town Jesus by accident. It's going to be because you have preached the gospel. It's going to be because you have lived out the gospel in your personal life. It's going to be because you, you're going to need to get a bit vulnerable and begin to express your faith. But let's not be afraid of what might come because of it. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the source of our income. I know for many of us, we're afraid of what could happen in the workplace if we start sharing Jesus. And can I just be really honest this morning? Your income is not your rock. Jesus is your rock. And if something happens because you share the gospel, I'm telling you right now, Jesus will come through in His name. He will come through for you. He will sustain you. He will keep you together. If you're going out there and preaching the kingdom of God, He will keep you. The Bible says He never leaves you. He never forsakes you in Jesus' name.